0: All of the scriptures were pointing towards him and he fulfilled them completely. He is the exact representation of God. This is the podcast of Tressler Mennonite Church. Each week, some people in our congregation don't get enough sleep during our Sunday morning services. And so we offer this podcast so they can listen to a replay of the sermon a second time as they catch up on their sleep during the week. This sermon was from December 3rd, 2023. Our theme this morning is indeed, why, essentially, why do we celebrate? Why is the birth of Jesus something that we remember? All of these years later why is this important for us and and in many ways i'm sure that most of you in this room could probably stand up and give a small lesson about why be, because you know and yet and yet these kind of important questions are ones that should be reviewed periodically and so we're going to start our advent celebration or advent season by remembering why and actually the first part of this why question the answer it is, a story. And it's a story, you know, I'm going to keep it short, but it's also, once again, a story that we should tell each other once in a while. Maybe, maybe once a year at least in this kind of season. The story begins in Genesis chapter 1. A God who existed outside of time, who always was, who always is, and who always will be, he decided to create a universe. And it was quite amazing. God had said, it was good. And God created people in that universe. And you know that? You are some of them, human beings, men and women. And you know you know the verse in Genesis 1:26 and 27, God said, "Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. Then they will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And over the course of history, uh, human rulers have sometimes created images of themselves, statues to show who is in charge. So people far, far away from the capital city where the king or the ruler lived would see this image, this statue in their village square, and they would be reminded of who was in charge in their area. And God did the same Kind of thing, a little bit, except that he made his images to be living and breathing, filled with his own breath, actually. And instead of just sort of showing the world who was in charge, God actually gave his images some authority to rule and reign. It seems he intended his reign to extend through his images as they represented him within the world that he had created. Maybe it's fair to say that he created people to reign with him, under his authority certainly of course but but to reign almost as royalty but royalty in the way that, that God demonstrates it royalty who bring life and health and beauty and richness we get we get a little picture of this in psalm 8 a glimpse of God's vision and God's intent this is a psalm of david and david writes he says when i look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers the moon and the stars that you set in place What are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? And yet, you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents." So this story starts out so beautifully, a God who created an entire universe, who put people there, and he placed them within his creation to represent him to, the, to all of the creation around them. They were going to be his images, his representatives in the world. These people were to be living in a relationship with him, ruling and reigning under his authority and wisdom and power. And of course, you know, the story goes on. These people that he made, they had a choice to trust God, to know to know what is best, to trust him enough to obey him, or to take matters into their own hands, to pursue their own knowledge on their own terms. And actually, I was thinking, you know, we shouldn't criticize them. Sometimes when we tell this story, we only talk about them. But actually, we, well, we also have a choice. We also have a choice to trust God. Last week, Carl did a really beautiful thing, I thought. He reminded us that Scripture contains a lot of very clear instructions for us. And then when he said that, he turned to Matthew 5. I, I'm biased, but I think this might have been the best chapter he could have chosen to illustrate his example. So my, one of my favorites here, he said, But I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, and that way you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. So just like Adam and Eve in the garden all those years ago, we also have instructions, we also have choices. We can choose to trust God, to trust that his way is best, we can trust him and obey him, or we can do what is right in our own eyes. Back in Genesis 3, they took those first steps away from God, but again, I don't really want to blame them too much, because if they started the journey, we have continued it, in the same direction the whole time. God's world was broken, and it, it still is broken. It's not good anymore, at least not, not in the same way that it originally was. We certainly still see glimpses of God in the creation around us, even in the people that he made. We are still made in his image, although we never reflect him perfectly any longer, and certainly not all the time. This world is broken and you can tell that if you read in Genesis the story shifts from glory and beauty to death and brokenness of a brother killing a brother of men accumulating wives and then in Genesis 6 we hit kind of a really deep low it feels like the lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. But the story is not completely dark because right there from the very beginning, at the start of all of that brokenness, God had said to the people, he said, you know what, I'm going to do something to fix this. Okay, those maybe not exactly his words, but in Genesis 3, God said that someone would come who would crush the head of the serpent, the one who had deceived the woman and encouraged the man to totally reject God's instructions that God had given to him. Someone someday was going to come to crush the snake, and God said that he would be the son of a woman, a human being. So a lot of years passed, and I'm summarizing the story very quickly. God made a promise to a man named Abraham that someday through his family, God would bless the entire world. Of course, the world that Abraham lived in was just broken, falling apart, and quite often Abraham actually contributed to that brokenness. God renewed that promise with Abraham's descendants, his, his extended family, so to speak, and in time they became a whole nation of people, but still broken. As time passed, they eventually had an amazing king who, who was himself broken, of course, and actually continued to her harm and break the people around him. But he was still an amazing king who loved God, who worshipped God, and who perhaps the most important thing he did was repent when he did wrong. The king sought to turn people back to God, but he couldn't, and yet... God actually made a promise to that king, David, a continuation of that same old promise, a promise that one of his descendants would reign as a king. And many, many years later, God repeated this same promise, but this time through Isaiah, and he kind of amplified it a little bit. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, we read, "...his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity." The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. So God had made people to reign with him. People rejected God. And so from the very beginning, God said that he would fix it. He was going to restore everything to its rightful place and its rightful role. And it's certainly good that God said that he was going to fix it because we can't fix this mess. We just keep breaking it more and more. So God said he would fix it, and he was going to do it by sending a child to be born of a woman who would grow up to reign as a king for all eternity, reigning like God intended people to reign. And over the next several weeks, we're going to actually read the story of Jesus' birth. We're going to read some more of the traditional um, Advent readings. We'll look closer at the life of Joseph then and the life of Mary. We'll draw lessons from their lives and we'll review all the details of the Christmas story. I'm not going to do them today, but my point is that we are beginning this Advent season. The arrival that we are celebrating is the arrival of the one that God had promised way back in Genesis 3 and who was then a promised again and again over the course of history and the course of Scripture God's rescue plan, or the earthly stage of it, God's rescue plan began when that baby was born. But this was what God had been preparing for all along. And so as we talk about this, I want to stress two two things, and then I want to ask a question. The two points that I want to stress are, one, that God's plan to set us free involved a human being. Way back at the beginning, God said one of Eve's descendants would be the one to crush Eve. The serpent. Jesus was a human being, and that is important and critical for us to understand. But the second point, of course, is that Jesus wasn't just a human being, and that's also important and critical as well. I don't know that I need to convince you of this, at least at least from my conversations you already accept all of this, but a very brief summary of, of, of the, the evidence would be, if you read John chapter 1, Right there at the beginning, John writes that through Jesus, God created the world. Before the baby was ever born, Jesus was and was active. And then we'll read it later this month. The angel told Mary that the baby she was carrying would be called the son of God, born with no human father. So Jesus is God and human. God became human in the person of Jesus. So we alone could never crush that serpent. We alone could never rule as David was supposed to have ruled. At best, we'd fail, kind of like David, and more likely, we'd actually end up like some of his sons and grandsons who ruled really terribly. And so God became a person. And so now, of course, the question, why did God choose to become human? We can tell that this was his plan from the very beginning, but why was it his plan? Why didn't God squash that snake without all the messiness of becoming a human and all the complexity that went along with it? And I know this is a very important question, and I I found myself as I was preparing, trying to figure out what to say and realizing I don't know that I want to say too much because I could easily say it wrong. And actually, I found myself feeling like it's a little bit presumptuous for me to try to stand up here and explain the reasoning and the motives of an infinite God But I'll just stab a little bit at it and say I'm guessing it goes back to Genesis 1 again. God delegated authority to people, and maybe, I think, it was God's long intention from the beginning of time for people, for humans, to reign. And people on their own power were failing to do that, and so God became human because that was his vision. I'd already read Psalm 8, but I want to just just read the little pieces again, just a little bit here of the bold parts What are mere mortals that you should think about them? And then he says, you gave them charge over everything you made, putting all things under their authority. In Hebrews 2, the author of Hebrews points to these verses and then he makes them specifically about Jesus. Jesus was the one human who lived out what God intended for humans. Maybe in a sense, I think you could say he was the only truly fully human human, but he was also fully God, and I, I don't pretend to be able to explain this completely, and I'm not going to try, but as we prepare to celebrate this month, remember that what we celebrate is God's rescue plan and the way he began it when that little baby was born. But there is an easier question and a very, very important question. What does it matter that God became human, that Jesus is both God God? and human. And I think this is a really important and really special question, and it's one that I also want to talk about this morning. And I feel a little more comfortable dealing with this this question. The world around us struggles to understand who God is. Maybe maybe that's you. Maybe it's the people around you. This has been true from the beginning of time. People struggle to understand who God is. Even people who read the scriptures on a regular basis often struggle to understand who God is. And at this moment, I'm Specifically referring to the Old Testament, and you'll understand why in just a minute, perhaps. But maybe you've maybe you've been this place yourself. You're trying to read and you're trying to understand and try to figure out who God is, and you're confused. Well, I believe that Jesus fixes this problem because Jesus shows us who God is. That's kind of a, a bold statement, but I'm going to try to explain why I make it. Towards the end of his life on earth and Jesus was preparing for his death. He was saying goodbye to his followers. Of course, it was a temporary goodbye. But he knew that a very difficult time was coming for his followers. He was going to be crucified. He was going to die. Then he was going to rise and then leave after a time. And so so he was talking with them. He was preparing them for this. And Thomas kind of said, wait, 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 Jesus. Where are you actually going to? And that's when Jesus replied with a, a verse that I think we Probably have heard before, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, actually, when I read the question and then I read Jesus' answer, I feel like he didn't really answer the question. It was a good question. Why didn't he? He kind of sidestepped. And actually, I think Philip might be like me because, because Philip kind of follows up and he says, and I'm, in my imagination, I hear him saying with a deep sense of longing, okay, okay, Philip said, okay, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. I'm hearing him say, I, I don't get what you just said, but I just want to see God so have you ever been confused or uncertain? Maybe you feel like you, you, you just don't know what's going on. You don't know why you're experiencing the hurt or the pain or the joy or, or whatever it is. You just are unsure. You're feeling a lot of hurt and uncertainty. And, and you say, I just wish I could see God. I just wish I could understand God. I think this is true for a lot of people at stages of their life or maybe even a lot of their lives. Something points them towards God, but they don't really understand who he is. Maybe it's the word of a friend or a neighbor or a coworker. Maybe it's the natural world around them, which God said is kind of a sign that can point us towards him in his direction. But something points them towards God. They're still confused. They're still very uncertain. They just... They just want to know God. They just want to see him. They say, Lord, please, I just want to see the Father. And Philip, you know, Philip had the whole Old Testament to read, the entire Old Testament. I'm sure he knew it very well. He had the natural world pointing towards him, but he still longed to see God because he did not understand yet. But then, but then Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. That line, anyone who has seen me has seen me the Father. In Hebrews, the author of Hebrews wrote, the Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul wrote, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So anyone who wants to see God can just look at Jesus. Anyone who wants to know God can just get to know Jesus. Anyone who wants to understand how God works or how God thinks can just Look at how Jesus worked and how he thought. So, you know, we're humans, of course. We spend our lives getting to know other people by watching how they live and work and what they do and what they say. And we're, we're not perfect at that, of course, but we're reasonably good at it because that's who we are. And because of the incarnation, we can now get to know God in that same way. We can watch how a human lived, what he said, how he related to people, the words he spoke, and we can get to know him. And in the process, we get to know God. Because Jesus was fully God and fully human. Scripture says he is the exact representation of God's being. So anytime you're reading the Old Testament and you find yourself a little bit confused about God his nature, why he operates in a certain way, or anything about that. When you get confused about God as you're reading the Old Testament, stop and turn to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, read about Jesus. And there you will know who God is. As a total aside, we are an Anabaptist congregation, and as I say this, I reveal my Anabaptist convictions. We understand the Old Testament in light of Jesus, not the other way around all of the scriptures were pointing towards him and he fulfilled them completely. He is the exact representation of God. So this is the beauty of the incarnation. We can see and know God because God became human in the person of Jesus and that's part of what we celebrate each advent. But there's another area of life that People struggle with, people wonder about, and, and, and maybe you've asked this question or you've heard somebody else ask it, does God really care about me? Does God understand what I'm going to? Maybe, you're, maybe your heart is hurting, maybe you're feeling some sense of brokenness in your life, something is going on that is causing you a lot of pain. Does God understand what's going on? I know sometimes it can feel a little bit like he's sitting at a distance, maybe up there in heaven on his throne, kind of watching through a telescope to see what we're doing down here. And I know that's the wrong way to think about it, but that's sometimes what it can feel like. How can somebody who holds a galaxy of stars in his hands understand or care about what I feel? The author of Hebrews addresses a facet of this in Hebrews chapter 4, and he writes, So then... Since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours, he understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same tests we do, and he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So in the context of Hebrews, it's it's about whether God understands the temptations and the challenges that I face, the things that pressure and encourage me to turn away from God. But the author's answer, I think, is wider than just that context. Jesus walked as a human. He lived and faced everything that we do, the pain of loss and rejection, health and probably sickness, I assume, although some might question whether Jesus could ever be sick. I don't want to get distracted by that question, but the author of Hebrews says that Jesus faced all the same testings that we do, and now he stands at the throne in heaven in his resurrected body, and he knows exactly how we are feeling because he has been through the same things and has felt the same pressures and the same situations. Often when, whenever we face challenges or difficulties in life, it's the people who have walked that road already who can help us best. They know what it's like. So I've seen people who lose a spouse and the people who seem to be able to best connect with them and care for them in that moment are people who have already lost a spouse. Or I've, I've watched parents who are dealing with children who are making some unwise decisions and, and it seems that people who can relate to them best and care for them most are those who had their own children who made those unwise decisions. And so if you're ever wondering, well, can, can, can God understand Can the God who spoke the galaxies into existence understand what I'm feeling? And the answer is yes, because he became a human. He felt the same kinds of pain that you feel. So I am confident that he understands and knows what you are feeling through, because he felt it too. And so this is why we celebrate Advent, the arrival of Jesus. So because people are broken— God promised long ago that someone would come who would fix that brokenness, and that person is Jesus, and we celebrate that Jesus came as our Savior. Towards the end of our Advent cycle here, we're going to be having a whole sermon focusing on Jesus as Savior. That will be the focus, but for now, just remember, God's rescuer arrived as a human, and that brings its own reasons for celebration as well. Because Jesus arrived as a human, I can now... Know and understand God in a way that nobody before me, or, or rather, nobody before Jesus' arrival ever could. So how well would we understand who God is if the Bible stopped at the end of Malachi? But we have his story, we know him, so we can understand God in a way that we might not otherwise if he hadn't come as a human. But Jesus did come as a human, and now suddenly I can read all of that Old Testament, and it makes more sense to me because I can first read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I can get to know a human named Jesus who is also the exact representation of God. And then sometimes when we face pain, I can begin to wonder if God cares, and the answer to that is yes, and we know it's true because Jesus came, he lived as a human, and he felt our pain, and he knows from personal experience what we went through. And I found myself thinking he can probably stand there beside the throne and hold up his hands, and he can look and he can see the scars there, and he can remember exactly what it felt like to be rejected by everybody around him. He understands. So so please don't get distracted this month. Don't spend all your time and your energy on family gatherings or buying presents or traveling on trips. Those things aren't bad, but put them in their proper place, In their proper place is pretty far down on the list. At the top of your list, celebrate that Jesus arrived, and that changed everything. I'm sorry to interrupt your nap, but you have been listening to the Trestler Mennonite Sermon from December 3rd, 2023. Take care.